0: And you say something is just fantastic. You don't mean, oh, that reminds me of Lord of the Rings. You mean, that's wonderful.
1: Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. We've been talking about the presidential and vice presidential candidates. Uh Last time we talked about Trump, you promised me we were going to talk about this word, huge. Now, the way Trump pronounces it, I've seen it spelled out various ways. I've seen it spelled out Y-U-G-E.
0: Yes. Or Y U U U G.
1: <laughs> yes, I've seen it spelled out H Y U U G E. Reminds me of the spelling of Winem's or something from uh, Swift. But regardless of how you spell it out, the word has certainly gone huge.
0: Yeah, and it's typical of Trump because size for him is the measure of excellence. He's, he's the only, uh, really notable candidate we've had who makes one of his main campaign claims that he's very, very rich. You can't believe how rich he is. And of course, you'll never know how rich he is unless he releases his tax returns. Um, and of course he built the iconic Trump tower, which is also huge. And, um, It's interesting when he says huge, I always focus on his mouth, which is kind of small for the size of his face. It puckers out as if there's not room in those cheeks for all that he wants to funnel through his mouth. And of course, there's the joke about his hands being small. I don't think they're preternaturally small. They're not particularly big. A lot of people don't know that this is a something that goes back a long way it has a history didn't just pop up out of nowhere Um, there was a journalist uh, writing satirical attacks on him in spy magazine who uh, made and we'll make a link to a good explanation of that on the abc news site Um, and spy was a satirical magazine 30 years ago and mocking him for having small hands. And that's how it got picked up. And he has been complaining about this and firing back and forth over it for a long time. So it's not something that just popped up in in this campaign. I'm sure people are plenty familiar with what the controversy was about and his complaints that he had no problem about it. But he's using huge in the sense of not just large, but tremendous to mean great. And that's common, That's uh, certainly a legitimate use, although we're more likely to say tremendous uh, than we are to say huge when we just want to generally praise something. Part of this
1: is the fact that he is running straight to president of the U.S. He's leapfrogging over All of these other offices that he could be holding to get experience, to get exposure to how things work in D.C. or all of the typical tracks that people follow, I think he believes in. Large. He believes in going big.
0: And of course, part of the problem is that the Republican Party has campaigned for over thirty years now against government and against politicians. Every politician trying to represent that they're an outsider, they're not a Washington insider. As if lack of expertise and a shortage of knowledge about how government works were the highest qualification for office, and um, doing this relentlessly denouncing politicians really opened a door for somebody like Trump, who can say, oh, you've been looking for somebody who doesn't know where Crimea is and isn't sure what our obligations are under the NATO treaty and doesn't know why it's a bad idea to use a nuclear bomb. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm your man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And um, the idea that uh, the greatest problem that previous presidents have had is that they just have not run around telling everybody around the world what to do and have them fall into line, um, which is an entirely possible thing to do, right? We can just run around and tell people to do things. And if they recognize you as a man of power, they'll just fall right into line anyway, right?
0: Yeah. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was rich. (laughs) But he didn't go around bragging about it as a campaign thing. He was most of his time worrying about the down and out trying to bring people up well this has been a pretty negative season for rhetoric and so i'd like to pull us out of that mood for a little bit by talking about some other words besides huge that could be used to praise things that are really really good yeah so the first one is terrific that's terrific That's just really terrific. And that's always a compliment in today's usage. But originally it meant something very different. It meant inspiring terror. Mm. Yeah. It was a a terrific sight to see those corpses uh, on the battlefield. Yeah. But then, in the interesting 18th century, it gets to mean awe-inspiring. The concept of the sublime comes along. And this is one that uh, people who are historians of art and poetry and a few other fields know about, but a lot of people don't. To be sublime was a, a new concept that evolved during the early Romantic era. And it's associated with things like mountain climbing and traveling through forests, which had been scary, even demonic places earlier where you wanted to stay away. Robbers might get you, maybe demons, bears, you know, all kinds of dangers. And it's the, with the emergence of the romantic movement, this notion comes along that, Hey, well, let's just go and climb up that mountain, not, not to get someplace else, but to see the view. It's really terrific. <laughs> out there, and um, look at that waterfall plunging down 500 feet. Wow! Scary, but thrilling. Yes. That's sublime. Yes, Or to look out over the desert and not think of it as a place where you're probably going to die, because you don't have enough water, but instead to say what a beautiful waste of sand, and it has that sense of the sublime. So that was what was terrific for a while.
1: This has become so subsumed in our popular culture and our popular imagery that many car commercials will have, you know, a car driving out to the edge of a cliff yeah and looking out over a Canyon. And uh, we've lost some of that connection with just how terrifying it is to be at the edge of a cliff and looking out over this vast abyss of rock formations and down in some deep Valley below and so on.
0: Well, I noticed that uh, Thelma and Louise is being re released this summer.
1: Yeah, oh, speaking of going over cliffs, yeah. Up, oh, up, oh, spoiler alert.
0: <laughs> sort of sublime.
1: Yeah, but the idea, even less so, of looking at some huge mountain or mountain range and being terrified by it, I think, is all but disappeared from from our consciousness
0: yeah to the extent that a lot of people don't take mountain climbing seriously enough and get themselves mm-hmm. killed on mount rainier near here that's claimed quite a few lives
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: nevertheless we have terrific and it's switched from uh meaning terrifying to meaning something quite the opposite
0: yeah it also came for a while to mean something with great intensity very severe
1: that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. would
0: be terrific. But it's in the late 19th century that it mostly shifted toward merely amazing, impressive, or excellence without necessarily the sublime part of it. And the original meaning of inspiring terrors is completely lost. Now, if you're really old, you may remember cartoons uh, starring Tom Terrific yes. on the old Captain Kangaroo shows where the main character could transform himself into anything by taking his hat, which was shaped like a funnel, and putting it on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, early cartoon superhero on TV. Um, now, awesome has almost replaced terrific in a lot of people's vocabulary. I associate it with younger people, but, gee, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. Everywhere. And it has the same root because terrific meant to inspire awe, right? And so awesome is the literal uh, inspiring of awe. So it was uh, described something that caused awe or reverence. Then it shifted in a negative direction for a while toward appalling, dreadful, weird, and overwhelming. The Oxford English Dictionary at first labeled terrific to mean great as trivial use. Um, they didn't really approve it. You know, the OED can be kind of slow to give the nod to changes in language. But they put it in a draft edition in January 2010. That's fast action by OED standards. It's just six years ago. It's been sitting there waiting to be promoted to a full <laughs> entry. Yes. Okay. Where they shift the label from trivial to colloquial. hmm <laughs> <laughs> Meaning Expressing enthusiastic approval, great, excellent, highly impressive, fantastic. I would say it's gone far beyond colloquial by this
1: There are times when the Urban Dictionary Online can be a great friend when you're trying to understand the way people are actually using the language. <laughs> um, but eventually, we can expect that the OED is going to have it, uh, going to recognize it for what it is, the way it actually is used.
0: There's another word with a related meaning that's very popular now, incredible. And this is one that I actually discuss a bit in the book. Um, Originally, it meant literally unbelievable. Credible is believable, something that is plausible. Um, But incredible is something which cannot be believed. Both incredible and unbelievable are now, however, used mainly to mean of the highest excellence. That's just unbelievable. This dessert is incredible. That home run was unbelievable. And it's a shortcut from a longer expression where people are saying, I can hardly believe so fantastic was that event that, um, it's difficult to believe. Not that it's impossible to believe really, literally, but that it's, it really makes it very difficult to believe. And the, problem for me with incredible is that it's sometimes used in context where it creates a real clash it's not strictly speaking a logical clash but it's uh the associations with the words don't fit so if somebody talks about an actor creating an incredible performance creating the role in an incredible way what the actor wants to do is to be credible they want you to believe what they're doing. Yes, that, I forgot that was the actor. I really thought it was the person who was the character. Um, so an incredible performance, although in the modern sense of the word, may make kind of sense. It may really make more sense to use a different word saying a very fine performance, a convincing performance, a wonderful performance, an amazing performance, and so on. Now there's another word that's used a lot to praise things that people like, and that's fantastic. It comes from fantasy, of course, originally existing only in the imagination. Uh, and it's often used, was used to mean purely imaginary. That was a fantastic story of why you couldn't come to school yesterday. Um, that would have been not an amazing story, but one that's obviously untrue and was used to mean purely imaginary. Then it came to mean fanciful and arbitrary, and then extravagantly fanciful, or even grotesque. So when you get down to the, the most recent listing in the Oxford English Dictionary, it labels fantastic in this positive sense of wonderful as trivial use, when it means good beyond expectation. But clearly, this is the dominant modern usage of fantastic. And you say something is just fantastic. You don't mean, oh, that reminds me of Lord of the Rings. You mean, that's wonderful. Works of art or literature um, that are unrealistic in a fantasy like way, uh, where they're not based on realism are called the fantastic and i used to attend and speak at conventions of the international association for the fantastic in the arts which dealt with works of science fiction fantasy and horror interesting meetings uh, a lot of big name science fiction authors and I had an experience once the very first time I went to a YAFA conference in Florida, and I was giving my first presentation at a scholarly conference. I actually prepared two papers, both of which got accepted. So when I got there, uh, it turned out that Stephen King was the guest of honor mm. that year, and that one of my presentations was up against Stephen King reading. Ooh. <laughs> giving his main reading. This is one of the things that drove me crazy about this place. They would schedule many parallel tracks for the conference because it was huge. And they would put um, poor little scholars like me up against these big name authors. And then um, King was so popular, they decided to give him another slot and allow him to do another presentation at the same time as my second paper. (laughs) So I arrived at the session and there was the chair of the session and the guy who had originally arranged for me to submit the paper and then nobody else in the room, just me, everybody else has gone off to see Stephen King. So the chair said, well, I don't know. It doesn't look like anybody's coming. I kind of like to go hear Stephen King. And I said, I just traveled 3000 miles To read this paper, and I'm going to read this paper. (laughs) (laughs) And I read it to these two guys, and it worked out because uh, one of them turned out to be editing a new book of criticism, and he accepted my paper for publication, and I was off and running as a science fiction scholar. All right. Well, there you go. Triumphing over Stephen King. I've had a grudge against him ever since.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that scheduling nightmare does not sound fantastic. In any sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also associated with a current movie, Captain Fantastic, which has been getting very good reviews, starring Viggo Mortensen. And the word is used in a much more complex sense there. It's not a superhero movie. Uh, then there's Fabulous. A little bit more old-fashioned, I think. You don't hear fabulous nearly as much as fantastic. I don't think it's a really a cool word. You know, I thought about talking about the word cool, and then maybe we could devote something to hot and cool sometimes.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Those really have interesting histories. But um fabulous means the same thing as fantastic. It means untrue, like a fantasy derived from as in a fable. Mm-hmm. And a fabulous story could, in older days, mean a lie. Mm -hmm. Um, The Oxford English Dictionary calls the modern meaning of marvelous, guess what, trivial usage. (laughs) You seeing a pattern here? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Note that many people now use unreal in this sense. You know, uh, I went to the concert, it was unreal, man. This has also gotten old, but for a while, it was
1: fashionable to not use Fabulous, but Fab, or the Fab Four. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and after the Fab Four, I think it became a, a thing to say something was Fab.
0: And the BBC series, Absolutely Fabulous, was referred to by its fans as Ab Fab.
1: Ab Fab, right, yeah.
0: And it's now out as a movie, uh, which I went to see the other night, and I got to say, You'd better be a fan of the original TV series if you want to enjoy this movie, because Absolutely Fabulous the movie. I did not find at all fabulous. But you were a fan of the TV series. No, I only watched one episode. I went to it mainly because I knew I was going to say this coming up in the podcast. I I ought to know what I'm talking about. It's a satire on two absolutely awful women who think they are just the best, the most chic, although they have a good deal of self doubt and hatred as well. Uh and it, it's sort of funny, but um it's kind of a one note kind of satire. So um, absolutely fabulous is meant, definitely ironically in that context.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Now even more dated is marvelous. I think of you know people will say marvelous darling mm-hmm. uh, originally meaning to cause marvel, wonder, astonishment usually in a positive sense. Uh, so a marvelous, I don't think, has ever been a negative uh, meaning. Um, it does have a secondary use in its literal sense of meaning supernatural or magical. So it was a a, um, a marvelous being. And then, of course, there's always Captain Marvel, who was uh, sort of an also-ran imitation of Superman Um Kind of entertaining. There's a long-time battle between the two publishers who held the rights to Superman and Captain Marvel. I think they've merged now. But uh, I enjoyed Captain Marvel when I was a kid, uh, largely because I think it had to do with vocabulary. All they had to do was say Shazam, <laughs> and the Marvel characters got transformed into superheroes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um But going back and reading some of those old, not Marvel comics at that time, but the Captain Marvel, they are incredibly lame. Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) I haven't been back to look at them, so I can't vouch.
0: Splendid is another somewhat dated word. I think Americans usually associate with British people. Say, oh, it's a splendid day for going grouse shooting. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And originally comes from words meaning to be bright, shiny, like brilliant. A Diamond is a-brilliant. As a noun, it can be brilliant because it's shining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Americans tend to associate this, as I said, with British speakers. And splendid originally meant the same thing as spectacular with both words. Now having lost their narrow meanings, become generalized, mean excellent, but overused so much, it could be a mild expression of approval. So uh, you'd say... This is a perfectly splendid meal. Thank you very much. Brilliant, even more so.
1: Yeah, brilliant. We have talked about brilliant on the podcast, and you have a blog post we can link to, Brilliant in Britain.
0: Right. And uh, it's sometimes been abbreviated to Brill and became exceedingly commonplace and is evidently still current. In America, usually when we use brilliant, It means uh, something related to somebody's admirable intelligence, so that Einstein was brilliant.
1: Yes, and you've pointed out that it can be used sarcastically.
0: Yeah, that's really brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be used mildly, as in in the British one, too, to just mean okay. Uh, The British also use super in this mild, generalized way. Um, Let's get together for tea sometime. Super. Mm-hmm. Now, one that uh, was around for a long, long time and is almost entirely died out is swell. If you say something as swell, you're either trying deliberately to sound old-fashioned or just being very old-fashioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's a very rich word. Yes. It goes a lot of different directions. Right, and it just means good. Now, originally, it had to do with literal swelling, increases in bulk, and was most often used in medical contexts. So you might have a swelling on your arm, and you bring an ice pack down to treat it, or pierce a pus-filled sack that was a swelling. In music, a swell is a crescendo, an increase in loudness, um, especially as you're referring to organs, but there is a technical musical meaning, which is a little different. means a gradual increase followed by a gradual decrease. So the music gets slowly louder and then goes down again. And that is called a swell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some musical instruments like harpsichords and some early pianos had devices to control their volume called swells. Uh, A lot of people... Uh, Complain about harpsichords. that They all always play at the same volume. Not entirely true. There are various ways to do this. One of the ways of modifying the volume of a harpsichord, though, was with a swell. In the late 18th century, a swell, a noun, came to be called a fashionably dressed person, a real swell.
1: And this is what, in the movie musical Easter Parade, a couple of swells is one of the tunes with Judy Garland and Fred Astaire. Right. Dressed like a couple of bums, calling themselves a couple of swells.
0: Yeah, it's a joke, obviously, in that context, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it means also, then, not only with clothing, but a highly distinguished person, often of exalted social position. Now, is a slangy term, actually, although it refers to something upper class... It's something that persons of a lower class would say of those people in a derisive manner. So you're making fun of somebody calling them a swell. Swells as as don't call each other swells. This latter meaning of the noun leads to the creation of the adjectival meaning, very good and great, which we're familiar with. That was just swell. It came to be used quite a bit to express satisfaction in response to someone else's statement. I got us front row seats for the concert. he had answered, swell. But you often hear it used sarcastically. But I lost the tickets. Now isn't that just swell? Uh Mm-hmm. Lawrence Hart wrote the lyrics to Thou Swell in 1927, and he used it as a compliment along with witty and grand, giving it an antique bent by including old formal terms like "woodst," wilt, and dandy. And um, we'll have a link to a performance of that song, which is set in the Middle Ages, where those archaic spellings make sense. Uh, and it's a wonderful song. And this is a, It's a terrific production. It's really worth watching on YouTube. Dandy, which I just mentioned, went through the same evolution as Swell. Originally, it described a fashionable dresser. A dandy was somebody who really dressed up very in a fancy way, and it was uh, not quite as negative as swell, but it was not uh, really a compliment either, somebody who was show-offy.
1: And that's the sense that it's used in the song that uh, Ray Davis of the Kinks wrote, the dandy that was made famous by Herman's Hermits.
0: Uh There used to be a term dandified, too, which means somebody or something that was pretentiously showy. Uh, And it became a satirical term, criticizing fantastic dress people who are absurdly dressed in costumes well like some of the things the women and absolutely fabulous wear in the movie <laughs> and uh so the satirical song was made up saying there's this americans go around with uh, different pieces of clothing that don't really fit together from different countries and they put a feather in their cap and call it yankee doodle dandy they call
1: it macaroni <laughs>
0: Well, that's right. Which was a
1: term for high fashion, right?
0: No, macaroni was actually a term meaning mixture. Macaronic verse, originally, was verse in which more than one language was used. You might have a line of Latin and a line of English, a line of Latin and a line of English, or it might alternate with French, and that was called macaronic. Oh, okay, good. And so macaroni was a dish in which you might have tomatoes and chopped beef and Noodles and, you know, all kinds of stuff mixed together. So that's where macaroni comes from. And so um, um that's why Yankee Doodle calls his costume macaroni, because he's being macaronic in the way he takes bits of clothing from different cultures and combines them in one. So this started as a satirical song um by the British, or the loyalists, against the Yankees. And the Yankees proudly took it up and <laughs> made it their anthem. Mm-hmm. Now, according to Wikipedia,
1: the macaronis were precursor to the dandies. Uh, A macaroni was a fashionable fellow who dressed and even spoke in an outlandishly affected manner. Uh The term pejoratively referred to a man who exceeded the ordinary bounds of fashion in terms of clothes, fastidious eating, and gambling. He mixed continental affections with his English nature – like a practitioner of macaronic verse, and that's where you get the mixing of English and Latin. Okay. All right. So they are all connected.
0: So I already mentioned the uh, Jean Allison performance of Thou Swell, and, uh, which was reused in Rogers and Hart's musical Words and Music, um, and that's the performance uh, we're going to link to because it's just spectacular. It takes a long time, by the way, to get Past the verse, which is the long introductory section before you get to the chorus, where Thou Swell comes in. Another classic song by Georgianara Gershwin, uh, which is linked to this theme today, is wonderful. For is wonderful, of course, it's wonderful. It's just uh, apostrophe wonderful, and you can consult my book if you don't know how to type a single leading apostrophe to get that s in there after you've typed a quotation mark it's a little bit of a trick (laughs)
1: yeah
0: um anyway it's wonderful as uh what we call a catalog song uh probably the most famous catalog song of all times is the catalog aria from don giovanni in Mm -hmm. which the servant leporello Enumerates anyway the number of women he's seduced in different countries, and uh, but modern catalog songs usually are love songs, and they have to do with just listing one thing after another that the lover is being compared to. And it's wonderful as one of those. But my favorite is a Cole Porter song: "You're the Top." Mm. And in this one, he lists a number of wonderful things that uh, you could be compared to because you're so wonderful. And the joke in that one, because Cole Porter was very witty, is that he uses very high-flown, exalted ones like the Louvre, and then he'll plunge into something very lowbrow like Mickey Mouse. Yes. Uh, and it's a very American because it's this love of celebrating both the highly... Um, is sophisticated with the really widely popular lowbrow kinds of entertainment.
1: And you can hear the rhyme, You're the pearl that the divers fetch up, Milton Burrell and tomato ketchup.
0: That's one of the later verses. The performance I want you to link to is uh, the early one. It didn't have so many verses. Yes. But he wrote an incredible number of verses over the years. He kept adding things. (laughs)
1: oh yeah he just kept adding to it yeah 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 yeah
0: Yeah, there's a huge uh collection of them and um, i was working on an early project using computer scanning and they were just beginning to have some very crude tools for not only scanning images but uh, recording sound and turning it into a animated slideshow and And with a soundtrack. And so I got the woman that was helping me in the computer lab. This is in the late 80s. um, To help me illustrate, you're the top for a class I used to teach in Love in the Arts, which I've talked about before. And um, I thought, well, you know, he lists all these various things that are absolutely wonderful, including a Bendel bonnet. Yes. And um, Mrs. Astor. And I think, you know, most modern people do not recognize these allusions. Yes. It's, what about the nose of the great Durante?
1: Yes. Or la- Lady Aster, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, they, I should make an illustrated version of it. So with the help of several librarians, I spent a couple of months tracking down pictures that I could use to illustrate you at the Top. And uh, the next to last one... Um, was The Steps of Russia. And I had a friend who had just taken the Orient Express and seen The Steps of Russia. But he said, you know, I don't remember seeing anything that really looked interesting, but I don't have any good photographs, but it looks just like the prairies of Saskatchewan. Use that instead. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other one that really gave me trouble was The Pants on a Roxy Usher. Roxy was the name of a movie house chain.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: They used to have ushers to show you to your seat. And um they were sometimes male. And Porter was gay, um, but that didn't stop him from writing a lot of love songs addressing women. But he might have had in mind the pants on a male usher. But I did finally, somebody pointed out to me, I had to go to the internet. It was before the internet, actually. It was on, on another bulletin board. And I said, I'm looking for a picture of the Pants on a Roxy Usher. And somebody found one for me, um, which I'm very proud of. And so that finished it. <laughs> the Waldorf salad, it refers to, um, I actually made a Waldorf salad from scratch and put the ingredients in front and photographed it and then took it to a potluck dinner. Yes. I was trying not to spend any money on this project. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty proud of the way it turned out. And it's up on YouTube um, with Cole Porter himself singing it and accompanying himself on the piano as the very first recording it ever made of You're the Top. So I hope you'll look at that. And when you're feeling bummed out by all the rancor slinging around in this political time, uh, this would be something that could cheer you up.
1: Well, that'll be fun. Yeah. I'm, we'll link to that. And I'm looking forward to watching it myself. Uh, Well, Paul, I I find it so interesting, these words that have other meanings that they come from, but we simply use them to mean, oh, wonderful, great. uh, But they come from other meanings. But it does help me to understand why I have always thought that Adam Sandler is an incredible actor.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. Talk to you next time.
1: That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.